you are listening to the brand new episode of Love of the Process. I am your host, Mike Petchy, and this is my show. Come on in, grab a seat. Um, I don't really have any beers in the fridge right now, just because uh, I think we drank them all last weekend. (laughs) (laughs) Welcome to the show, everybody. It is a Monday. Uh, I am uh, just coming out of a pretty long uh intense week of editing and uh here's the big news the big news is is that i finally finally have picture lock i always get chills when i say that i always get a little uh tepid when i say that because picture lock is one of those things all right well let me explain what picture lock is because many of you that listen to the show don't work in the film business but you guys still like the show which is great Uh, What happens is this, when you're editing a piece, and as you know, I've been talking about this for the past few months, I'm working on my new film, my new short film, which, dare I say, is the best thing that I've ever made. Um, And when you're putting this thing together, when you're editing something, what you're trying to achieve is getting the piece to flow, getting the story to make sense, getting you to understand the characters, getting the audience to respond and to react to all of the scare moments. Um, And you're trying to do it at the best level that you can. Now, with me, what I do is I'll go through and I'll do my rough cuts. I'll do my overall sort of pasting of ideas down on the timeline, which in the early stages is kind of like collage work for me. Um, And as you sort of build this thing, you find these moments that seem to start to work right? Because it's all in theory. Everything's in theory prior to this. Like you make shot lists, you put down ideas, you block out sequences. Uh, Wow, that's a big helicopter that's low. You block out sequences and then you cross your fingers to hope it's going to work, right? If I cover this scene with five shots, I'll have enough coverage to make it interesting. If I want to make the uh actor who's pushing towards a doorway and trying to open a doorway here's my theory on how to do this right and as you put it into the timeline some of those theories work faster than others some of those theories uh play out quicker and when i find something that works that's exciting because you're like i'm not a complete fucking failure (laughs) my ideas are working and so you see that and then you start to build out you're building out you're building out now as the guy who, you know, essentially wrote and conceived and knows every second and moment of this, if I feel anything, uh, I don't trust it, right? Because I'm just sort of sitting there going like, okay, but I know everything. I know the story. So what I try to do is show it to people, different people at different stages to see if they have the same response. And I'll tell you, nothing feels better when someone responds the way that you've built with all your skills and all your techniques and they have a jump scare, or if they have an emotional moment, nothing feels better. On the other side of that, there's nothing worse than if you have put all of your energy and skills into a sequence and they don't react the way that you think they are, and they don't react in a good way. So like any aspect of this business, um, editing is just as bipolar as everything else. So you go from being incredibly elated because you put something together and you're like, man, the sequence feels so fucking good. And then you go into another sequence where you're like, I didn't get enough coverage or this doesn't work or the transitions don't work. And why the fuck don't I have a continuity person? You know what I mean? Like all of that becomes a big factor. 
Um, so as you're sort of pushing through the edit station, for me, the edit on this has taken a bit longer than it normally would, just because we've been rewriting, we have been expanding, we have been rewriting during the edit stage, and the pieces just got bigger and bigger and bigger. And thankfully, I've got the luxury to do it, right? Just because I'm producing it, it's my own money in this piece. Most of the actors and everybody involved are friends. So it's been a lot easier for me to go back to the well when I needed to. And I think with any filmmaker, when you get into the edit room, you start to see new paths. You start to see new avenues. And you're like, man, it would have been really fucking cool if he had looked over at that thing, because if he looked at that thing, then I could have gone down that road. And in this piece, I just did that, which was a lot of fun to do. Um, and so whenever you guys hear about directors, Hollywood directors that have to go back and do reshoots. The first notion is that, oh, they must have failed. And that's not necessarily true. I think that when I hear directors or filmmakers are going back for reshoots, that means they're opening up their options in the edit. That means they most likely discovered something in the edit. Unless, you know, if you continue to hear rumors about it and the producers are getting involved and it gets a little weird and there's reshoots because, you know, you could tell when it's actually legitimately a problem shoot. But most of the time, I think it's because they find something great. And I think there's nothing worse than feeling trapped. There's nothing worse than feeling like, well, if I didn't get it in the first round of shooting, then I can't get it at all. Now this, and I'm off on a tangent here, I don't know why, but this is such an interesting thing to think about. For those of you who are filmmakers, for those of you who are learning to filmmake, Here's the benefit. We talk about it on the show all the time. Learn all of the, the trades in this business. If you're a director, learn how sound works. Learn how shooting works. If you can get your hands on a camera and you can learn to be some sort of an efficient, proficient shooter, um, that's really going to help you when you get into a position like this. Because um, uh, more often than not, I will be, because I have the skills of a cinematographer and I have the skills of a sound designer, um, I'll be in the edit process going, man, I really wish I had two or three inserts for this. And I can just set up in the edit room a small little insert thing and be able to shoot it that matches the shoot. Right? So then I could just shoot the inserts. Who gives a fuck? I could do them right here without telling anybody. <laughs> it's really nice. And then you start to lay all these things in. And there's nothing better than surprising the team that you worked with and the crew. And they come in and they go, when the fuck did you shoot? Did we shoot that? You go, nah, I shot that here in the other room, right back here, and I put it in. It's fine. No big deal. Right? So as you go through this process, and I should do a whole episode on the post-production process of this film. Once it comes out, I think I will, because you guys will find it really interesting. Because there was a... I, essentially, this movie, and the reason why I'm so excited about it, is that this movie is the culmination of all my other films. It's all the other great stuff that you guys have seen, that you love. For all of you huge, ravenous fans out there for 12KM that keep writing to me every day, everything you like about 12KM is in this new movie. Uh, everything that you didn't like about 12KM got left on the cutting room floor for this movie. So uh, it's been fun, dude. It's been a great learning lesson. And to get back to my original point, as you go through this long, drawn-out, 12, 15-hour day, four or five-week edit process for a short, this is a short film that I'm doing. This is another proof of concept. And this film's rocking in at 12 minutes. All right? It's insane. 
And I know a lot of you out there are like, 12 minutes, and you've been working for weeks and weeks on this. When you see how complicated this edit is, you'll understand. So when you get to the point where it's finally laid out, you've screened it to a bunch of different people, you've had a bunch of different people in and out at different stages, now you're getting reactions on every beat, every moment. Um, and I will say this, I am incredibly, <laughs> I'm incredibly fortunate to be with Gina, because Gina now, since she has been directing for so long and she has been finding her own voice as a filmmaker, um, she has such a great outside perspective on my work. And um, I finally got to a point where I felt like the edit was solid. Like I'd, I showed it to a few people. I had some emotional reactions that I really enjoyed from a few folks. Um, and then I'm like, I think I'm great. I think I'm good. And then Gina's like, well, we need to sit down and watch it together. And so we sat down and she knew, man, she picked out every fucking moment that I was, I don't want to say that I'm being lazy on, but there were moments in the piece that were real problem moments. And she's like, why are you using this shot here? And why did you cut this so many times? And what are we seeing here? And I got, I, I got grumbly, right? Cause she's sitting next to me and she's like, oh, can you stop it here? And I go, oh. <laughs> because I'm at the end of a marathon and I'm just like, mm, come on. All right. All right. All right. All right. And she's like, what if we swap the wide shot here? And what if we move this here? Do you see how this feels? And uh, she was right. It was really cool to be a part of that and to sit there and go like, man, I'm not alone on this. There's someone else that really does care in this, in this post end of things. And I had shown it to a lot of other people and they didn't have a problem with these details, but she pointed them out. And once she pointed them out, I went, yeah, you're fucking right. God damn it. You know exactly where my scabs are on this. All right, all right, all right. Let's fix them. Let's fix them. And I'm happy we did. So you go through that entire process and you get to what is called in the industry picture lock. Now what picture lock means is that you're no longer going to change the edit. You're no longer gonna make adjustments. You're no longer gonna make any shifts in this thing. And why is this important? Well, since I'm working with an amazing songwriter and composer, and I'm working with the sound effects team, and I'm gonna be color grading it, they all need to have an edit that doesn't change so that they can do all of their work to it, especially in the sound department. Because if I change a cut or if I shift a frame, then suddenly all of the dialogue and stuff that they're working on, as they clean it up and the sound effects, it moves out of sync, it shifts out of sync and becomes a nightmare. A lot of younger filmmakers don't stay in picture lock, which really fucks up the entire back-end process of it. Um, and so the move is get your edit to where you want it to be, show it to as many people as you can, get as many reactions as you can, go to picture lock. So that way I have multiple weeks now of these guys doing hard, hard work, sound effect work, really music sweetening, all of that stuff that if I change my edit, it fucks it all up. So it's a nerve wracking place to be in. It's a nerve wracking place to get to and you try I've been trying every day for hours and hours a day to just sort of flush this piece out. Um, and I know that if I didn't get to picture lock that I won't be able to make the release of this happen. And come on, the reality of the situation business-wise is that I'm trying to get this film out before the fucking writer strike starts. Because <laughs> then the entire business shuts down as far as that's concerned. So um, yeah, it's been good. We're there. I uh, figured I'd catch you guys up on what's happening with me and this piece and that's why i've been sort of mia with the podcast because i was so deep in the cut um but this week's a good week 
and I'm excited about our guest today. Um, we're going to talk about filmmaking. We're going to talk about getting greenlit. Uh, I'm talking with uh, the creator, one of the creators of Project Greenlight. Did you guys ever watch Project Greenlight? Show on HBO it was Matt Damon, Ben Affleck, and they were getting so much attention of being like the two screenwriters that came out of nowhere, right? When they won the Academy Award, and uh, Ben Affleck went up there and said Boston like five times. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. And then they created a show. They had a show on HBO that uh, helped uh, show, shed light, and show the development of a brand new filmmaker and how movie making happened. Um, and it was an entertaining show. I remember watching like the first two seasons of it and, you know, being a young filmmaker and wanting to get into the business, I was completely engrossed. Um, you know, and some of it felt like it was made for TV, but a lot of it felt kind of honest. So I got the offer to have Alex Collegian on and Ryan Gibson on, the two guys that uh, run now run this podcast called How I Got Greenlit. So How I Got Greenlit podcast. Um, and I'm excited to chat with these guys. I haven't interviewed them yet. I'm getting ready to doing the intro early, um, but we're going to dig deep into the greenlighting process. They both have had years and years of experience in the film business. Um, Alex, like I said, he was one of the creators of Project Greenlight, but he's also a writer and director for a movie called High Voltage that is about the uh, music industry out here in Los Angeles. I think David Arquette's in that movie. Um, and then Ryan Gibson has been a writer-producer for years. He's done independent short films, and he's also worked on tons of different productions at different levels. Uh, I just noticed that he had worked on like the Top Chef series, um, treasure hunters, all that kind of stuff. So these two guys come from two places. And it's obvious when you look at their IMDb that they've been hustling hard in this industry at different levels in this industry. Um, and I always enjoy when I, when I look someone up and you know that they've sort of come up and they've been assistants for people and they've worked in the business side and then they end up, uh, you know, getting a script greenlit, getting the opportunity to write for large TV shows. It's like, all right, these guys have seen what actually happens behind the scenes, for real behind the scenes. And at the level that many of us filmmakers uh, just don't understand, which is the business side. So um, I think it's gonna be a great episode today with Alex and Ryan, but before we get into it, I just wanna thank everybody for following me on Instagram at Mike Petchy and following the podcast Instagram at In Love With The Process POD on Instagram. We have been doing our contest that's right, Photo Deox. We're giving away a $150 gift certificate, um, which you can use for uh, these amazing lens adapters that Photo Deox makes. And I've talked about it on the show. I, I just did a post last week. Go to my Instagram page and I show you the adapter that I'm using. I'm excited because I was able to take my lenses, my old Nikon lenses, and adapt them to a new Fujifilm body. Um, and as I say in the post, um, a lot of these lenses, like my 24 millimeter macro, it's what I'm known for just because it has a very specific field of view and has the ability to have a wide shot get super detailed. Like I can focus like a millimeter in front of that lens. And so you guys, if you've seen 12 cam, um, I use that lens not only to do a lot of the macro stuff, but there is a section at the back end of it where I had to shoot. Um, I don't want to give anything away, but there's a bunch of helmets that are oily and hands that are oily at the end of the movie. If you guys have seen the movie, you get it. And by the way, that's another example of me shooting details 
in the edit room at the back end of it when the professor turns the lights back on you know i'm trying to be very vague those of you who've seen the movie know what i'm talking about when the professor turns the lights back on are when they use the flashlight at the back end and you see these hands sort of hanging out and the flashlight sort of moves over them and the, these helmets on the ground i won't say why um but that was a whole sequence of stuff that i shot in my basement while i was editing because i needed those so i just went down there with this 24 millimeter lens and i went down there with a flashlight and a smoke machine and shot that stuff in a few hours so that wasn't even shot during the, the principal photography of that shoot. Pretty crazy, right? So, um, yeah, make sure that you, if you want to win one of these lens adapters, if you want the ability to put cinema lenses on your photo cameras, your still cameras, your second shooters, uh, they're great adapters for the Fujifilm cameras. Um, that way you have that camera within your arsenal when you need to do these pickups. So I can actually get my hands on the, the lenses that I had strapped onto an Aerie Mini LF, which costs a lot of money to rent during the day, but I could just get the lens um, or similar lens and then shoot pickups. It's great, dude. It's awesome, especially in the post-production phase. So if you want to get your hands on one and you want to win this contest, go to Mike Petchy at Mike Petchy at Instagram and uh, follow the rules. You'll see a post up there and all you have to do is post in the comments um, what camera you have, what old lenses you want to adapt to that camera, and why you want to get one of these lens adapters. What are you going to use it for? We will pick a winner in the next few weeks, and I will give you guys some extra credit. So continue to listen to the show. I think on the Thursday catch-up episodes, I will put up some uh, additional extra credit things that you could do to get a better chance at winning this gift certificate from our friends at PhotoDeox. All right? That's it. Let's get ready. Strap yourselves in. The guys are going to be here any minute. I got to get my shit together. You're going to be uh, chatting with me, Alex, and Ryan. We're going to talk about getting your shit greenlit on the brand new episode of In Love With The Process. Thanks for being on the show this morning. How are you guys? Thanks for having us. Thanks, Mike. <laughs> I'm excited to uh, chat with the both of you. Um, off, to a, off to a flying start, Mike. <laughs> <laughs> I have a feeling that this is going to be there's going to be a lot of shit slinging on this episode, which I love. <laughs> it might be different than your norm. What we try to do, I think, is when we come, we're, we've been lucky enough to be on a few uh, podcasts, and um, we really try to screw the format up. <laughs> as, as, as part of our community service, as part of our, um, yeah. we're working it off. 
<laughs> I love it. It's the same boat, man. Whenever I'm a guest on someone else's show, I just love going on there and causing trouble because <laughs> it's just nice not driving the ship for a, for a hot yeah, second. Yeah, you're not the straight man. That's why. Yeah, it's great, man. It's great. Yeah. So, fellas, um, let's uh, let's let's catch the audience up to you guys. Like uh, you both have been working in this business for uh, too long, I would probably say, right? <laughs> Quite a while. <laughs> uh, our, our adult lives. <laughs> well, well let, let's start. Uh, I'll just pick, man. Alex, why did you get started in this business? Why the movie business? Uh, I always wanted to be in the movie business since I was six. So I didn't know the name of what it is I wanted to do for a long time. I said, I'm going to be a cinematographer because I thought the cinema part was like someone that practices cinema. <laughs> um I'm not much of a cinematographer, uh, so I quickly learned that uh, director is what I wanted to be, to have a cinematographer work for me. But um, I would say since uh, seeing Star Wars was my unoriginal and completely generational um, uh, inciting incident, to use the vernacular. And uh, yeah, I mean, so went to film school. Um, Moved out here after film school, uh, did various jobs uh, in development, production, ups, downs, back forth, and uh, have been able to make a career out of it. So um, it's hard to love, uh, <laughs> but, uh, uh, you know. I ain't got nowhere else to go. <laughs> <laughs> Nothing like feeling trapped. <laughs> well, That's right. Where did you Where did you move out from? Where did you originally grow up? Grew up in uh, suburban Chicago. Oh, nice man! I love Chicago. Yeah, yeah, I do too. And uh, I wish it had more of a film business. There's a lot of valiant people doing their best, and Illinois just changed their tax codes uh, to allow that to happen more. Mm -hmm. um, so I one of that's one of the things I want to do on my before I die list is uh, shoot a movie in Chicago. Yeah, man. Well, when you think Chicago, of course you think. Uh, oh, my brain just shut the fuck down. You think, um, uh, you know, sixteen candles. Uh, God, John Hughes. John Hughes. There it is. Yeah, you think John Hughes. You think, uh, you know, uh, the parade sequences and Ferris Bueller. You think all of that stuff. You think John Candy. I think a lot of John Candy stuff when I think, even though he's not from Chicago, but it's probably because of John Hughes. I think John Candy. When I think that stuff, it's a great city. Yeah, man. absolutely. Yeah, beautiful city, great people. Um, I do love it, and it is a very cinematic city. Beautifully, uh, a lot of architecture and has history, and it's got a lot going for it. So, Ryan, what's your deal, man? Why'd you get into the business? Um, I uh, I didn't. You know, I always. Uh, I always liked movies growing up and um, <laughs> I would watch them. Yeah, that's pretty much it. Where'd you grow up? Where'd you grow up? Uh, I grew up in a, uh, a town that is known in, uh, if you know anything about uh, movies, a town that's referenced quite a bit in movies. I grew up in a town called Muncie, Indiana. Oh, okay. Uh, which is uh, the which is known as the Crossroads of America, um, and uh, it is the town that is featured in uh, Close Encounters of the Third Kind. Oh, it's also right. where the uh, it's also where the the Rube is from. Tim, what's his name? Uh, in Hudsucker Proxy. Oh yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. Um, Tim Robbins. Tim Robbins. Yes. Yeah. Yes. 
Yeah, it's usually where uh, uh, dumb people come from. Uh, <laughs> so I got that going for me. Well, we, we can't wait for you to break that stereotype on today's yeah, show. Yeah, I've been hammering on that rock for a while. Uh-huh. It doesn't, I don't seem to be figuring out the right combination. Um, yeah, so I, uh, yeah, so, uh, I didn't know. Um, uh, I didn't know that I wanted to do it. I... You know, I just, I love movies. And then, uh, I was lucky enough, um, uh, in college, I, I worked, uh, I was in a job where, uh, I did a job in, while I was in college, like an internship and then out of, out of college, uh, where I came out to California and I stood on the Santa Monica pier and I was like, I want to move here. Hmm. And, and I moved here and I, I went to business school and I didn't really know, you know, I just wanted to get, I suffered a little bit of a tragedy when I was in college and, uh, and, um, uh, I just, I wanted to get out of college. Like I didn't want to quit college. I didn't want to stop going to college, but I wanted to get out as fast as possible. And I, if I had known that I wanted to do what I do now, I probably would have prepared differently, hmm. <laughs> you know, what, but I didn't. What do you mean? What I, do you, what do you mean? How come? Well, I would have, like, if I would have known, like, I, I didn't even think, it wasn't even on my radar to be, um, to work in, you know, television or movies. It wasn't even a thing that I even put any value to, mm-hmm. you know, I didn't, I just didn't, I never thought about it. And then I came out here and I was like, wait, I, I have some skill sets. Um, and I, I basically got educated in the school of hard knocks. I was a PA. Mm-hmm and learned from the ground up. I was lucky enough to PA for, um, a guy named Angus wall, who, uh, was a editor and had a company called rock, paper, scissors and, uh, a five, two. And he, um, if his claim to fame was, I mean, he has multiple claims to fame, but where he started was he edited the smells like teen spirit music video. Oh, very and, cool. Very and, cool. Uh, and then became David Fincher, him and David Fincher had a bit of a creative partnership and he did like the title sequence to seven and, um, Hell you know, yeah, I, man. yeah. And, that, uh, and we were right down the, I, I had a friend who worked in the vault and I was for the first time in my life, I was working as a waiter mm-hmm. and, um, <laughs> just had, like sleeping on the floor. And was having like it was a, diff- a different life for me. Like I came out here and really it was it was tough. And um, uh, and then uh, my friend was like, "I can get you. They need a PA, and I can I can see if I can get you uh, a meeting as a PA." And so I went in, and I'll never forget this. Um, the woman was like, "You know, we had this nice conversation." Annie Zarkoff was her name, mm-hmm. and she. Uh, um, at the end of the meeting, she said, look, I, I don't think this place is for you. And I, I got down on my hands and knees and I <laughs> begged. I was like, please, please. I need, I need this. I know I need this. She said, I'll see you Monday. And I was like, <laughs> I was picking up dog, the owner's wife, uh, Angus's wife, Linda Carlson, who was, a, uh, you know, I owe Linda and, and Angus, you know, my career now. Um, uh, but I, w- she had two little Dutch hound, Dutch hounds, wiener dogs, and, uh, <laughs> I would follow them around and pick up their poop. And that was where, 
The early yes. days. The early that was the early days. <laughs> and uh, I parlayed and that now, into... And now he uh, picks up picks my poop. poop. Yeah. Now I, <laughs> now I pick up others' poops. So it's really not far from where I started, which is exactly what I'm saying. I'm still breaking rocks. <laughs> so how'd, yes. you t- how'd you two get together? How'd you guys meet each other? Uh, we met at uh, Fremantle Media. We both were working there... Um, making TV shows and uh, I, I don't know how if we were I think I went to you Ryan I needed help on a project uh, yeah we we so Fremantle we were lucky enough um, uh, Ted Gutteridge who is the head of Fremantle God look at me pulling out names today uh, well Alex, no that's how about that, this? That, that, that you put two different people's names together. I put Ted Hames and <laughs> Ted Hames and uh, Tom Gutteridge. <laughs> They're both T's. They're both and tees. they also, um, sometimes they Ted would get on Tom's back and they'd put a trench coat over themselves. And, and they'd act, yeah, they'd be yeah. like a super tall kid. Development yeah, like a, yeah. like a, Deve- ma- a development monster. Yeah, master blaster, if you will. Yeah, ma- there you go. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so we, they, uh, they brought in, they were sitting on, um, I don't know, Alex, would you say mountains of gold from the- Yeah, it was like the peak of uh, American Idol. Mm-hmm. And it, it was like, um, uh, you know, when a, a suitcase is overpacked and clothes are sticking out, well, that was just $100 bills for them. So they decided, like, <laughs> we should develop the next one. And so they uh, set up Ted, uh, Ted, it was actually Ted's idea, to set up a, a lab. Uh, a lot of the British. Um, television companies will not just do individual development deals. They'll do what's called a laboratory where they do, they'll do deals with individual producers, but then they'll, uh, they'll try to create a, um, you know, team building sort of with uh, collaboration and bouncing ideas off each other and things like that. Um, they were truly halcyon days. For us. <laughs> well, it was uh, it, to to Ted's credit, it was it was a mixed bag because um, while the idea was sound, no one told business affairs, so we were actually um, financially de incentivized. So we were we were told by our, our bosses to collaborate, and we loved it. It was great, good people. Ryan and I are still close friends. I'm still friends with a lot of the guys that we. Uh, guys and gals that we worked with to this day. Um, the problem was is that when we down the we went down the road and the and the lawyers were like, oh, uh, we're looking at your contracts and uh, you actually shouldn't be collaborating together because financially and legally it's problematic. <laughs> so that was interesting. <laughs> also, also at the time, and I, I think Alex, you remember this, is that when like there were some really interesting ideas. Uh, that came out of that. Like there were some cool shows that I think could have been made. Alex definitely had, you know, some stuff that he and I talk about to this day. They're like, God, that show, why is that not a show? And they still haven't done it, you know, like yeah. just and sit there and yeah. And so, but the problem was, was that another financial issue was if the show didn't cost X amount of dollars and let's just say for round number a million dollars an episode mm-hmm. and they weren't going to see profit from that then they weren't going to do it because they were looking at a model where they had um 
uh, an old printing press in the back room mm-hmm. called American Idol, and it was just kachunging <laughs> out sheets of thousand dollar bills. And so, but also a, they also owned um, like Family Feud, and yeah, they, they, they had 90, bought a lot of library stuff. They owned ninety five percent of all game shows. Game shows. Weird. So, uh, like the guy who ran that department would tell us, like, uh, oh yeah, you guys are just a write off. Like, uh, we make more off the Family Feud. Um, <laughs> Slot machine license fees than nothing, you assholes cost. Nothing like inspiring, you guys. <laughs> yeah. Remember, remember the re, remember that show you used to love, uh, the Whammy show. What is it? Pressure oh, Luck. Uh, pressure was like, Luck. Yeah, Pressure Luck. He would be. He was like, um, Pressure Luck just made more money than you guys will ever bring in. Just in yeah. the, but since and, I and like it this up. month. And um, not but, talking new episodes. We're talking about the old episodes that are playing in wh- like the, the whammy t-shirts did better. <laughs> right, than <you> guys. <laughs> um, but so good, uh, good luck with your little or like uh, here's, here's another, here's another fun uh, revenue stream that no one remembers. Um, you know, uh, please t- to vote, please text. Some charges may apply. Oh, oh wild. They made money, yeah, a lot invented, of invented, money invented off of the shit. voting protocol Whoa. Uh, for American Idol. Yeah. And one of our episodes. Because AT&T of- was their partner, so they split ski. It was great. Great. Oh, awesome. one, of our, one of our interviews on our show, was that last season or is that this upcoming season, uh, Alex? Is the um, interview our show? The- oh, yeah. yeah. No, it's, uh, it's coming up. Gary Carter, who was our boss's 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 boss, uh, <laughs> he came in. And he was advocating the uh, the lab model because he worked in the UK a lot. And uh, this dude is um, fascinating, by the super way. Super smart and uh, taught us about flow, which is now I think a little more sort of in the common vernacular. But what do you, what do you op- mean by flow? What is flow? Uh, flow state, which is uh, a uh, the the. It, it's when you stop thinking and you're just mm-hmm. doing right. Mm-hmm. I don't know if you you've ever played music or danced with Michael Flatley or whatever. Well, I but, bet you uh, do it on your bike. I yes. bet you get into flow. No, I'm serious. <laughs> I sometimes, I it, yes, yes. I bet it happens on your bike when you're out there and you you stop thinking and you're just riding. It's yes. usually when you get killed. Yeah, when, when you, no, no, when, uh, but that's interesting. When I still remember learning how to ride a bike. When you're concentrating on riding a bike, you can't ride a bike. When you stop thinking about riding a bike, you ride a bike. Yeah, it's basically, now you're riding without hands. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, it's the, it's, it's the, the psychology of optimal experience. And hmm. uh, uh, it's, I highly recommend it as a book, as a concept. Um, it is pretty interesting. It's it's like the that time that that one major league pitcher did LSD and pitched a, a you know a no hitter. Like <laughs> sometimes it's just a way to get out of your way for an artist. You know, yes. uh, actors will tell you like, oh no, I'm acting. Like they have to like forget their acting, right? Yeah. So uh, and and uh, by Mihaly uh, Chicks. <laughs> That's, uh, yeah. That guy, uh, we put that in the <laughs> show notes, um, and the, the, uh, link, the link below. The link will be below. <laughs> and so this guy was, you know, he was thinking very deeply and very broadly, and we, we were very impressed with him. And again, friends with him to this day. He's a super smart guy. He's, he was, he's like he was a nice m- enough to mentor. He's like a Jedi master. He was there. Uh, he was in the room uh, at the creation of Big Brother, Survivor. Um, uh, what was it? The Apprentice? I like like pretty much every major format that changed like reality TV. He he, was, he pretty much invented 
what we know like as modern, modern reality. reality television. Uh-huh. He, 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 he's very modest. He would not say, I don't think he would say that out loud. I think he would say though, that he was in the room and he was much more influential than that. Right. Uh, I, I forget. And you know what, Alex, I did. I really, I just realized this. Do you remember farmer Once a wife was kicking around back then in 2004 or five, what six when, you know, it was, it was in that range and it just came out on Fox. Like, I don't know the show. <laughs> farmer wants a wife. Is that what you see? See, see Mike, what, what you have to understand is, is that shows <laughs> that sound so crazy, stupid uh-huh. are get done. It's <laughs> well, no, like I always go to if uh, if there's any fans of Thirty Rock out there, they had a running gag that was kind of pissing on reality TV. Oh uh, yeah, like yeah. they're like, milk, you better milk. get it together, Lemon, or else we're going to replace you with reality TV. We've got this new show called Milf, Milf Island. Island, and that's a show now. <laughs> and they and they made they made fake clips of Milf Island where it's like, <laughs> I'm sorry, Tawny, but you're not keeping it tight. Please turn in your bikini. <laughs> I remember this. Uh, yes. And, uh, this and so, a, and so Milf- like fucking hilarious and cut to like what last year it's called, uh, Milf I think it's called Milf, some Mills mansion. I don't know, but it's one step worse than that because the guys, so that the milfs are all in their, you know, cougar, range yep, is that right. still is that still an allowable term i don't know i don't, anyway, I don't, uh, I don't know what it's allowable. ladies of a certain age and then the men are like kind of himbo like 20 something folks yeah and the the reveal is and they're all your sons so <laughs> the the other milfs are dating the other persons is I, that I, the I, twist of the show Yes, I feel Didn't, like I feel like the producers are just on Pornhub a lot. <laughs> I think they're just okay. going like, okay, uh, here we go. <laughs> okay, so so and, and yay, I beheld a pale horse, <laughs> <laughs> and with the apocalypse, him yeah. came reality TV. <laughs> yeah. yeah, the funny. So one of the things that you do, Mike, when you're uh, a part of one of these groups is you'll go on retreats uh-huh. and uh, you'll go to uh, a nice place like Mill Island. Like, yeah. And then you'll be, you'll all get together and then you'll do these exercises where you like create, like create the most absurd reality or television show you could possibly come up with. And like you pitch the ideas and and it's like, it's a, it's a thing. And you, some of those crazy ideas that come out of that, where you're like pitching shows, like, you know, um, uh, I don't even want to mention them on air because they're ridiculous. <laughs> but they, uh, but those those end up like they end up getting made. That's the crazy thing. So uh, look, I, I did think you want to go back to Farmer Wants a Wife? Yes, that's no, no. A show. I want yes, I want to go back. I found the pronunciation. Mahaley Chick sent me hi. Uh-huh. Is the author right. of Flow? Remember that of name, Flow. Okay, okay, gotcha. Flow, Flow. Okay, so, and it is a good read, by the way. <laughs> it's a great read, but just conceptually, it really um, helps you. Like you know, for creative people, it's a way to um, just just chill. Like you got it. Yeah, Don't yeah. overthink it. You know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah. Isn't it funny how we're having this like very deep conversation about flow while also talking talking about, about like the old, how how island. it's it's really nice to know because when when you watch reality TV you go this is fucking craziness and it's nice to know that you guys all go on a retreat and sit around and do exercises on like what is the craziest well, fucking let's, thing. Let, okay, just let, let me clarify. We've been around long enough that that 
the, 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 those halcyon days are over. Okay. 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 There's very few deals that come like in any capacity. There's very, could have been there's, the last, there's could, a that lot could have been the last deals, a lot there. less development deals out there. There's a lot less development people out there. There's certainly no retreats for freelance fuckwads like us. <laughs> and, uh, there will be retreats for a Netflix or, you know, like any corporation. Sure, um, sure. But, but in this, that was like a, a bright shining moment because it was sort of on the newer side of reality TV. They didn't know what it was. Mm-hmm. They didn't know what it could be. Now we came in, Ryan and I, and, and, and our, and our cohorts like, wow, it could be anything. Right. And, and quickly it descended into madness uh, you know, which, and I can, dr- I can draw you a direct line between that madness and, you know, the current political climate, because right, right. if, if, if politics is basically just media management and manipulation, yep. you know, the, the Kardashians will be running soon. Yeah. No, I buy that dude. I hundred percent buy that. It's- the, but, but another thing, and sorry to interrupt, but another thing that's the, 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 the through line to all of this is that at that time, farmer wants a wife. And we were talking about Gary Carter farmer wants a wife was a show that was, I think developed in Norway or some Scandinavian country. And they were trying to bring it over here since the early two thousands. And it, didn't find its way on, you know, didn't find its market until this year where it came out. And so I, you, but I, have you ever seen it? Yargi Shankashinka is one of the best shows I've ever I seen. I agree. I agree. You <laughs> have to give it, it takes some time. They're not going to be able to cast a Yor- an American Yargi. No. No. Talk about charisma. I don't think people uh, appreciate sheep shearing the way... <laughs> <laughs> well, now you're t- now you've br- you brought us back to the Kardashians. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> hey now, hey now. That's As an Armenian, I am allowed to uh, create a hate crime against their eyebrows. Yeah, okay? My girlfriend is Armenian too, and I'm always hey like, now. Kardashian. That's, moment. Is that why you're in Glendale? Yeah, that's right. That's why yeah, we're that's here. Not, that's we're in the I home base. Honey, honey, I've got this beautiful mansion in Hollywood Hills. I don't care. You move now. <laughs> I don't. I don't believe you. That's a, my every friend. Time, my friend, day. you will now go to Glendale. Can you tell the story about leaving your laptop yesterday and then finding the people (laughs) and then saying, oh, you must be Armenian? (laughs) What is this? (laughs) All right. Anecdote that's completely apropos. I just love, I just, because it's so historical and political and hilarious. It's very short. Just tell the um, short version. Okay. So, well, no, I don't do that. But anyway, so uh, do you know who Angela Serafian is? Mm, Did you ever see Westworld? Yes. Okay, so uh, she's Armenian, mm-hmm. and she's very talented and very beautiful. And uh, I recently wrote a uh, a script about um, basically, a, a, you know, it's like Heat meets Romeo and Juliet. What if an Armenian uh, daughter of a mafioso uh, falls in love with a Turkish son of a you know arms dealer, <laughs> and uh, and hilarity ensues. Mm-hmm. So I wrote it for her because she's you know one of the only like Armenian. Even though you've never heard of her, you know her face. You've seen her. It's very striking. So um, I met this bar the other night, and you know me being an, an a hole, I'm always trying to work. So I brought my laptop with me because I had like an hour to kill. Between what are you doing? I'll oh, just write the script and work. And um, <laughs> 
And then I met some people. So being paranoid, I didn't want to leave it in the car. So I had it in the bar and then I forgot it in the bar. But in the course of being at the bar, I see this very striking woman and I'm convinced it's Angela Serafian. So I say, hey, are you Angela? She said, huh? And I showed her a picture and she's like, wow, thanks. It's really nice. of I'm like, well, and, and she's with a group of, how do I say this? Eyebrow challenged men and women <laughs> and uh so i um said oh are you guys armenian and, and there was a there was a pregnant pause and turkish oh, oh. <laughs> well uh, you're drinking rec- booze so that's cool have a lovely evening <laughs> record scratch um <laughs> wasn't angela serafian but very lovely woman and also like brings up the like doppelganger theory of like reality that you know somewhere in the world i don't know if you guys get this but i get this all the time oh bob no you're not you're not bob john jen jen from uh skokie illinois no oh shit and then the other guy right look it doesn't this guy look just like Bob? Like I always look like somebody they went to high school with or whatever. <laughs> I, 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 yes. I think it happens to people. Yeah, it's yeah. happened so, to me for sure. Um, and so cut to the morning after, mm-hmm. and I can't believe I drank the whole thing. <laughs> and then I'm like, wait, where's that fucking laptop? And I like jump out of bed and I look everywhere. I'm like, mother. So there was a whole wacky like chain of events, but basically they were nice and they found it and they thought it was one of their friends. Cause it was like a birthday party and they scooped it up and the manager of the restaurant tracked them down and they were nice enough to drop it off. And so, you know, fuck me for like assuming, you know, that <laughs> Turks would be like, ah, now we will teach them. But, um, <laughs> no, they were super nice. I mean, we, we were hanging out. So, uh, it, it, it did, it definitely did restore my faith in humanity. I'll tell you that much, but, but um, you know, mending bridges, man, mending cultural yeah. bridges with them. Yeah. I don't know laptop. what, I don't know how this relates to, to Yorgi gets laid, but, um, <laughs> you know, Good story. <laughs> well, dude, I've uh, been living. We we moved out here to Glendale because I was a guy that was running a production company and doing stuff back in Boston for about twenty years. And we moved out here four or five months before COVID. And back oh, in good timing, yeah, right. Back in uh, Boston, we lived in Watertown, which was the third highest concentration of Armenians in the planet. Oh yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. And, and then mm-hmm. we moved to Glendale to the number one. To the- <laughs> <laughs> you went from three to, and now you're going to year event next week. So. <laughs> but it, back in Boston, it really wasn't, uh, you know, th- there was a lot of Armenians kicking around, but it really wasn't as prominent as it is here in Glen- like in Glendale. It's a it's a lifestyle movement. I mean, it's just, Glendale's the cleanest city in in Los Angeles right yeah, now. Yeah, it's nice. Yeah, yeah they're they're it's very really, specific. It's, it's funny because it's its own city. I think it's probably bigger than Cleveland. You know what I mean? It's just kind of like folded into L.A., but it's its own thing. You know? yeah. Good eats over there. Good eats over there. Oh yeah, lots of good food. That's one of the reasons why I did it, man. I do a lot of barbecuing and shit, and the and the butchers out here are amazing. And but I remember I was, and this is how you know I get so lost in filmmaking and shit that I feel like I never am looking around and I'm never really aware of what's happening around me. And I remember I went to, uh, I went to the In-N-Out Burger that's over here and I'm just sitting in line at the In-N-Out Burger and this big motherfucker comes out and he's dragging his kid with him and he's just yelling at his kid and he's got the deep voice and he's yelling at this kid and he's got this black t-shirt on and I was completely unaware and on his t-shirt he goes, it just says, fuck Turkey 
on his t-shirt. And it, was, it was right It was right around Thanksgiving, and I turned to the guy in the car and go, this guy must hate fucking Thanksgiving. He goes, no. <laughs> Asshole. That is ridiculous. <laughs> Dragging his kid. The shirt's Wait a minute. Well, was, it, was it in Armenian or was it in English? It was in English. It was bold oh, white wow. letters on a black Fuck t-shirt. turkey. Fuck Jesus. turkey. Yeah. That's amazing. Yeah, welcome. And you, and, you, and you went up to him while he's like, you know, <laughs> screaming at his kid and go, how do you really feel about yeah. that? <laughs> yeah. Dude, it's okay. The meat gets dry, but it's okay. Yeah. You I'm a goose man myself. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. yeah, Glendale, dude. Glendale is always an adventure. Always it an adventure is. out here. Lots yeah. of flags on cars. Uh, lo- lots of uh, AK-47s on flags on cars. Yes. Right. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Um, so, uh, so I look, I think it's fascinating with the reality TV stuff, when I was younger, when I was working mostly as a uh, shooter and a cinematographer, when I got into this business, I remember they were at, like I was approached to do reality TV. And the first time that I was approached was to do cops. <laughs> they approached me to shoot cops. And I was young and I was like, yeah, yeah, fuck it. I need some money. Let's do it. And then the next day they're like, well, we got to size you for a bulletproof vest. And I was like, no, I am not doing the show. And I've just sort of been i've sort of walked away from reality tv as 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 like a guy that works in that stuff because i feel like it if you're a crew person especially a camera person they just beat the fuck out of you on those shows where it's it's rough yeah there's no doubt production for reality television is rough um i have friends who do it so the answer to the question of what you're going to do is you exited stage left yeah (laughs) yeah quickly (laughs) i I will say this though i you know alex and i have been friends for a long time we work together Uh, i love enemies for even longer everything's for even longer but i love the guy like a brother and uh i one of my favorite stories is about the guys the two guys who uh, do they do they create cops alex or do they so it was two like shooter guys like 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 that. Like yeah, I yeah. think they were ENG guys yeah. and they were like, we're, we're doing this wrong. We got to own our own shit, you know? And so uh, when they sold to Fox, I think they sold their library to Bar- Fox. Was it Barber? Or- I'm trying Something. to remember what yeah. they They were over in Santa Monica. For yeah, they have, they're they still over there. Yeah. Um, uh, they bought, they're so, they were such good friends. They bought each other matching Rolls Royces. <laughs> <laughs> and I always thought what kind of, and they actually live net that I, I think this is true. I don't think this is, it might not, it might not be real, but I think they own their houses in Malibu are right next to each other too. I think they're such good buddies. <laughs> Just bros, like straight bros. <laughs> Super bros that are sitting so, on mountains of cash. And driving I, I, I have a matching story, which didn't turn out as well, which is, um, I don't know if Matt and Ben, told this on a talk show or something but they so they get the money for goodwill hunting and they go and they're like shit broke and like driving beaters so mm-hmm. they bo- they both go get matching like jeep wagoneers or something <laughs> like white ones and everyone made such fun of them <laughs> that they mean <laughs> A couple boys from Boston. Did, like, like it makes it, it, it. It's a great moment, like mm-hmm. a, like the end of a car commercial. But then you have to live with it and be like, "Oh, look, it's the 
it's the Jeep <laughs> Army. They're, they're, they've arrived. You know, they're on. They're in columns. Yeah, that, I yeah never, so I never really thought about like, did they show up at like their parking spaces are probably next to each other? Did they drive? The yeah, places. It's like a, they, I think they do, and it, it probably says like Cop One and Cop yeah. Two. Yeah, that's yeah. <laughs> a Boston. Right, it's time to take a quick break, and I want to talk about uh, the gear that we use on the show. I want to talk about the equipment. You guys are always asking, like, what kind of camera should I have? What should I buy? You know, I want to be a filmmaker. What should I buy? <laughs> it's such a strange culture. Look, I'm, I'm going to say this before I get into the ad reads, and this could be detrimental to the fact that I have sponsors, but I'm going to say this. You don't need any of this stuff that I'm going to talk about. You don't need it. You don't need to own anything. I mean, many of you can make movies with your phone. Who gives a fuck, right? But I will say this. As you progress, right? You've made a, a couple of short films with your iPhone. You've done a couple of different things on your own. You start to see the limitations. You start to go, ah, if I had an extra set of hands on set, then I could have focused more on the actor instead of having to deal with that, you know, snow machine that wasn't working. If I had... Um, you know, just a better monitor. If I had a better camera, then my post-production would have been a bit easier. I would have been able to uh, rack focus easier between the actor and what was going on in the background. That, that cost me so much trouble. Well, that's when you start thinking about larger pieces of equipment. That's when you start thinking about other gear, like what is out there to make your life easier. That's the way to think about gear. It's not, what should I buy to validate myself as a filmmaker? It's, I ran into these problems when I did the last thing I did, and it would have been easier if I had a guy or a girl behind a monitor that had a wireless video tap and autofocus so that I didn't even have to worry about the focus. I could just be following somebody, you know? So that's what we're going to talk about now. I'm going to tell you guys about the equipment that over the years I have found valuable, okay? And these are companies that I was working with before I convinced them to be sponsors on the show. Um, and the reason why I asked them and approached them is because I love them so much and I feel like there's a value to what they bring to my work. First up, our friends over at Puget Systems. So many of you are looking for a new editing computer right now and there are a lot of options out there. But here's my, here's my pitch. I was tired of dealing with Apple. I'm just going to say it. I'm not going to sugarcoat it. I was tired of dealing with them. I was tired of the fact that every piece of hardware that I was forced to buy from their limited selection of hardware that I was forced to buy at some point over the next two years, three years, they would release a software update that would render it useless. There's nothing worse than being in the middle of an edit and then having a software update. You have to suddenly do an update because there's a new codec that comes in and then now your shit doesn't play back right. Have you been there? I have. And you can't help but feel like it's intentional. You can't help but feel like this is how they make their money. I don't like being manipulated like that, especially when it comes to my art. When it becomes a part of who I am as a storyteller, suddenly I'm dealing with a company that feels very manipulative. And now I have to give you more money to do the same fucking thing I did two days ago. No, that's why I jumped ship and I went back to being a PC owner. Now, 
I know there's a lot of older folks that are listening to the show that are like, didn't PCs crash? Weren't PCs the machines not to use when you're doing editing? That was years ago. Everything's caught up. I don't know if you know this, but if you guys are editing on the Adobe Creative Suite, it works on both PCs and Macs. I can tell you guys, I've done episodes on this, how to format your drives, how to use uh, programs that format your drives that enable you to open a drive, write a drive from a Mac machine, put stuff on a drive that goes out to a Mac operating system. You never have a problem. So if you're working with an outside vendor as an editor, and you're like, hey, look, my graphics guys, they're all on Macs. Am I gonna have a trouble with uh, drive formatting? Nope, not at all. I could teach you how to do all that stuff. I use a program, I'll tell you right now, and they don't sponsor the show. They should. Um, but uh, HFS Plus is the program I use. So it's HFS Plus. Google it. If you use this program, it enables you on a PC to format your drives in a Mac format um, and to write to those drives and read off those drives that you get from Mac users. So if you're sending around portable drives with projects, you have no fucking trouble with it. It's really cool, man. So that being said, build yourself a PC. Here's why. Um, PCs, the way PCs operate, it's open market. So they're constantly, um, there's all sorts of third party software people that are constantly competing, whether it's graphic cards, whether it's motherboards, whether it's RAM. They're competing all the time. So it keeps the prices affordable and the prices drop quickly. So when something new comes out into the marketplace, they jack those rates and you're like, you guys are just trying to make Lamborghinis with that rate, man. And then a few weeks later, because of the competition, it drops rapidly. So it becomes incredibly affordable. So there are many of you out there that don't have the skills to build your own computer. I get that. I found this company called Puget Systems, and all they do is put together computers that work for you. That's it. They build custom computers based upon the software you use, and they build monster, monster edit systems. I have an amazing edit system that will edit uh, 6K, 8K. My new project, I've got over, in Premiere, I've got over 35 tracks of video in my rough cut that are all uh, full format, um, airy, uh, large format rather, and they're running raw, real, full resolution in the timeline without any delay on my playback. I'm telling you, it's the coolest thing. So if you want to build yourself an edit system, just write to Puget Systems. And if you want to build the edit system that I have, just write to Puget Systems and say to them, hey, give me the system that Mike has and you'll be good. You know what I mean? Also supporting the show are our friends over at Fujifilm. Gina and I have been using Fujifilm cameras for the past year, uh, and our work has, it has become so much better <laughs> because of it. Gina's been shooting with the GFX 100S series. She just did a gorgeous photo shoot that it will be released soon with an actor from a very high-profile TV show, and she was able to use her Fujifilm GFX 100S and her lens adapter from Photodeox to take her old school large format lenses and mount it to her uh, Fujifilm camera. And it gives this creamy, beautiful, painterly look. Um, and make sure to follow Gina. I'll make sure that you get access to her Instagram so you guys can see her newest pieces that were shot with a combination of Fujifilm and 
photo deox lens adapters. Uh, but Fujifilm is going to have some pretty big announcements coming up. Okay, so make sure you click the links in the description of this bio and follow them. Follow them on Instagram because they're going to be releasing a new camera. I don't know when. I think it's in this year. I think it comes out this year, later this year, that is going to change the marketplace. Large format filming, beautiful color renditions. It is going to change everything. And I'm so happy to be involved with these guys on the show. And I'm so happy to have seen this stuff before you have. <laughs> Um, all right, let's see. Also supporting the show, like, let's say you get your hands on a Fujifilm, right? You get yourselves one of their X-Series. Um, maybe you get this new camera that comes out on the market, and then you get yourself a Photo Deox PL mount. So it's a PL mount to Fuji cam mount, which is really beneficial, especially if you're doing movies, guys. Um, and then you're like, hey, man, I want to get my hands on the lenses that they shot that show you on Netflix with, you know, like those super shallow depth of field, repurposed old school bokeh-y crazy lenses that they use for that show. Well, you live here in Los Angeles. Here's who I think you should call. Call the guys over at Boca Rentals. Boca Rentals is the premier uh, boutique uh, camera rental company out here in Los Angeles that their whole business plan is making new relationships with young cinematographers and young filmmakers. They support us. They want us to be their clients. So instead of going to the larger old school dinosaur rental houses, which, you know, let's be real. When Michael Bay walks into that office, he gets everything, right? So even if you've got, you know, even if you've got a, uh, an appointment at one of those spots, you know, Martin Scorsese walks in and they get everything. You know what I mean? So if you're a young filmmaker, become one of the top filmmakers at a, at a smaller, newer production, or I'm sorry, smaller, newer rental company like Boca Rentals. I love these guys for it. Every time I walk in there, I'm a rock star. And they have the coolest lenses that you can ever work with on their shelves. Their inventory is ridiculous. Uh, at some point, I'm going to have the owner of that company on the show just to talk about his experiences as a rental guy and the people that he's met and the collection of lenses they have. So go to bocarentals.com, check them out, follow them on Instagram. The links are in the description of this episode. And if you have some free time, just go down and hang out with them. They have a great shop here in Los Angeles, fun place to hang out with. And I heard rumors and rumblings that they opened a brand new space in Las Vegas as well. So there's a lot of Las Vegas listeners on the show. Check out Boca Rental, all right? Let's see, who else have I covered? I've covered photo, I've covered that, I've covered that. All right, I think that's it. For those of you newcomers to the show, if you want to listen to uh, the episodes curated, if you just want to hear all the director's episodes or all the writer episodes, you could find all that stuff at unlevelthepossess.com. There, not only have I put all the episodes in neat little categories for you, but you can also go there while you're listening to today's episode and check out the supplemental material. I'll put trailers up there. I'll put photos up there. Um, it's a great place to go um, if you love the show. All right. That's it. I'll let you guys uh, get back to the interview.
Uh, Langley and Barber. What a great story. They're still doing it. I think they beat out like uh, the South Park guys is like the longest running fucking hustle in history. I think they called it partnership. I think they bought. I think back they bought their, it back. Right, they bought it back. Yeah. Which, if you know anything about this business, is you sell high, and then after that person crashes in the ocean, you buy it back for pennies on the dollar, and you redo it again, and you make your double fortune. Oh that happens God. all the time. Oh all my the God. time. That's our business. <laughs> it's such a the bit when you start to understand how this business works, you're just like a fucking con job. Half the time, you just feel like they're just. Really good, really good at selling shit. <laughs> there's a, there's a, uh, you know, that adage, fake it till you make it. I, yeah. Like, you can't say that about a surgeon, you know? <laughs> you can't say, yeah, I'm going to. Wait, wasn't that that movie? Um, uh, it was if just you, in the you, news. If you say Soulman right now, I'm going to no, go crazy. No, Catch, Catch Me, me if, if You Can. can. Yeah, yeah, with DiCaprio, so, that was the Spielberg one. Yes, he pretended to be a doctor and all this other stuff. And then just like a couple weeks ago, they're like, it turns out all those tales, he was lying. And I'm like, right. Yeah, the whole story's about a liar. You <laughs> believed all that bullshit? <laughs> People, makes a good mo- makes a good movie though. It did. Yeah, people want to believe. It's a good man. yarn. Yeah. Well, so let's talk a bit about uh, your show, right? So you guys, your podcast, How I Got Greenlit. Obviously, that has some sort of connection to the fact that you used to have the show Project Greenlight. Correct? Is that the origin story? Uh, not used to coming back July on HBO. Oh hell's yeah! That's awesome, man. <laughs> yeah, you're, ta- you're talking to the creator of Project Greenlight right now. Yeah, yeah. So yeah, so Project Greenlight uh, will be returning uh, shot, and it will be airing uh, in July. Um, with uh, Issa Rae is now the EP, mm-hmm. and uh, it will be all diverse and all women candidates. Mm-hmm. So it's a very exciting new iteration, and we're very happy and proud that it sort of can uh, evolve with the the business and the 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 culture. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'm just pleased as punch it was a really nice story um Issa was a struggling filmmaker and had i believe uh won like a short film contest that we were putting on um some years ago as part of like the digital uh piece and um when you know she had her great success with her show on hbo and they were pleased with it and gave her well one of the few development deals that i just said don't happen anymore and uh they said please you know come with us, come, come, you know, bring us shows from original ideas, or if you want to redevelop anything in the HRL library. And she said, I want to bring back project Greenlight." Yeah. Yeah. That's cool. So that was the way nobody made her. She, <laughs> she chose to do it. So thank you for that. Well, dude, I remember when project Greenlight first started, and of course, being a young filmmaker from Boston, of course, you know, Matt and Ben coming out of Boston, yeah. Boston, Boston, all that. And I remember watching yeah. the first season and I was like, fuck. All right. And, and, it was a cool glimpse into filmmaking at that time period because, I mean, this is before YouTube, right? So this is before every asshole thinks they know how to make fucking movies and they talk about it and they just rehash what some other asshole said on YouTube over and over again. It was yeah, they had the guy with the tweet cap on backwards, like hand cranking. It was great. <laughs> how did you come up with the show originally? Where'd the idea come from? Uh, it was. Um the first uh, sort of modern go round of they didn't even call them reality shows they called them like unscripted or uh, uh, alternative programming mm-hmm. um, 
was shows like Real World. Yep. If you remember that from MTV, I do, and uh, it was a huge hit, and and I watched it, and I you know I dug like the first season because I felt like that was the pure one where they didn't know what was happening. By the second season, they were all like ready for their close up, you know, well, kind of like any experiment. It was already like tainted. Exactly. I mean, it, it was all sort of stemmed to jump in here real quick. It was stemmed from like the Loud Family, right? Wasn't that like an old yeah, PBS yeah. show where it yeah, started? Yeah, that's right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, and and that was I would call Loud Family like. Or even like Seven Up, if you yep. remember that yep. movie. I mean, there had been docs uh, on that. I, look, there's been docs since you know the you know shooting the train, uh, arriving in the station or whatever, right? In the yeah. old silent film days. But um, yeah, I would call this the modern cable TV show, not quite pure reality, more or excuse me, not quite pure documentary. You yeah. know, it was the first time that we saw this modern. Mm, how do I say this? Uh, manipulation of editing and right. you know, kind of building the, emotions. The, the, yes, the zhuzh, the, <laughs> the 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 massaging that you didn't see in in prior documentaries. And in fact, that that those people were always very very clear that they didn't manipulate. That that was part of the sort of un, the sacred art of documentary was to just capture and see what unfolded uh real world um you know buna murray who are still around but uh, i mean the uh not around the company's around but uh uh some of the ms bunum is no longer with us but um hmm. uh they you know sort of pioneered this technique of uh franken bites if you've ever heard that term mm -hmm. uh where you take a um an out of context uh uh, you know, soundbite and put it in and then you cut to a reaction. Let's say somebody like saw, a, you know, a, a kitten get run over by a, a, a steamroller. And so their face is kind of like horrified. And then they would, you know, make that the reaction shot for, what do you mean you stuck your finger in my peanut butter? And like, they were off to the races. Right. Yep, yep. And, uh, and that's where we are now, frankly. But um, so I would watch that show and I would be like, well, you know, what if they actually did something? Like they have these young people in a in an apartment, but they just kind of sit around and complain about the peanut butter. Like what if there was <laughs> some kind of common shared goal? And I had just come from NYU, so I remembered all the wacky doings of behind the scenes and even student films and some PAs on like low budget features and stuff. And it's it's just it's always a fucking clusterfuck. So yeah. I'm like, you don't even have to manipulate that drama just let it unfold you know it kind of came from that ah. the other thing the other thing was i would read variety from the garbage can of my boss at the time <laughs> and uh the front page was like adam sandler gets 20 million dollars for blah 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 whatever his big movie was and i was kind of flabbergasted i mean he's mildly amusing but i don't i don't understand what all the fuck even to this day you know mark twain award aside i don't understand he seems like a nice fella and a good friend but he's got a good, he's got a good thing going for him let's yeah. say that man. Yes. yes yeah yeah so did dw griffith like i mean there's filmmakers <laughs> and there's filmmakers okay so um what i'm trying to say is is it really uh, fucking pissed me off that he made 20 million dollars and i said it, uh, like a lot of good inventions, like you bump your head and you're like, why don't they have a you know helmet for this shit or whatever, right? So I saw that and I got pissed off. I'm like, why don't they give $1 million to 20 filmmakers and 19 of them can fucking 
fall off a cliff, but the one will make the 20 back. Yeah. 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 So it was more like that. So it was those two ideas, um, you know, put together. And so I, I met a guy at a party mm-hmm. and he was starting Miramax TV. He had just moved out from New York and he didn't have any, didn't know how to do TV, didn't know how to be a development manager, didn't know shit. Um, and he was, his first job was to do the clerk's, uh, animated TV show for ABC because it was all part of the family. Right, right, right. And I, my first job in the business out here was, uh, developing shows to cartoon shows for Disney. So I knew a lot about animation, you know, development and production. So I said, Oh, well, if you're doing clerks, I love clerks and I don't do animation. And I know this great Indian house, you can get it for cheap. And he's like, great, let's, you know, tell me about it. So we met for sushi at Nozawa, the original Nozawa over on Ventura. I don't know if it's even there anymore. And it's before there was an empire of sugar fitch and Casanore yeah, right, and right. cha-cha-cha. And uh, I was, you know, pitching him on how to do clerks for cheap and fun and blah, blah, blah. And then we, you know, I said my spiel. He's like, great, great. I'll take that to my boss. Sounds good. And then we're just eating and bullshitting. And and I started talking about this thing that was on my mind. Like, have you seen real world? And he's like, yeah. And I'm like, you see fucking Adam Sandler? He's like, yeah. And I said, why don't they do a show about like the making of a movie and like all the fucking wackiness. And then you put out the movie at the end so you can kind of see how the sausage was made. Yeah. And he was like, fuck all that animation stuff. You're coming to my office. You're going to meet my boss tomorrow. So I go and I pitched his boss the same thing. And he's like, I love it. We're buying it, you know, but you guys, you know, you, you're a couple of young schmucks that no one's ever heard of. Go find me someone that someone cares to hear about film with. He's like Tarantino's office is upstairs. Rodriguez is, you know, three doors down. We got a bunch of deals with filmmakers. Go find one of them. That'll like, you know, present it or whatever. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So we started talking to those people and uh, it kind of got through the Miramax, uh, you know, jungle drums and uh, Kevin Smith um, told Matt and Ben and they were starting a company to do stuff like this now. And so their guy called us and uh, said, hey, would you be interested? And we're like, well, we'll consider it. We're like, yes, you know, this is right (laughs) on the heels of their success from goodwill hunting and they were kind of i mean look at the time you know we can we can put i think in history it's miramax asterisks but then it wasn't mm-hmm. it was sort of the brand name of indie film right yeah. so that yes. would be what you would think about and and if there was a face of indie film it would be those two guys right? yes for that so time it was specifically, perfect yeah. you know yeah it was the perfect kind of um confluence of the right idea at the right time at sort of the birth of modern reality TV uh, with their success at peak. And they wanted to, as Ben said, do something that was karmically appropriate to their, you know, rags to riches story and give back to the business. And, um, you know, timing just, you know, luck and timing just, just worked in our favor. And uh, that's kind of where it came about. That's it. Okay. So I get this question on the show all the time and people are always asking me like, how do, how do you find success or like, how do you get stuff greenlit or how do you get your stuff up and running? And it's interesting to listen to your story because I think it's a prime example of how a lot of this stuff happens. Like you just happen to go, you meet this guy at a party right? How many people do we meet at a party that end up becoming something? And then you go for lunch and then you just had the balls to be like, Hey, also this thing, 
right? Because it was, by the way, not even balls. It was kind of just like I was just toying. It was more like conversation. It was like, ah, what else are you working on? Yeah. And then so it wasn't rolls. me like it wasn't a stealthy like oh he needs animation stuff I'll I'll shoehorn my way into a meeting and then I'll really pitch what I'm really doing it wasn't it wasn't my agenda it was simply like what else you working on but he grabbed onto it and you know this fellow went on to great acclaim his name is Eli Holtzman mm-hmm. and he's now running reality TV for Sony television mm-hmm. and has done many great shows uh, was the creator of Project Runway of uh, Undercover Boss and really um, became uh, I think he's in the real screen hall of fame like he, he really you know uh, was there for a lot of stuff and continues to make uh, great reality tv so um you know it, it was his instincts like oh I, i've never heard something like that let's you know and then his boss billy campbell who ran tv at the time for them mm-hmm. uh saw the intrinsic value you know there's a lot of people that got it um and uh you know it was the luck of it was still wild west you know yeah, I, right. I tell people now if i if i had come up with that idea now uh, it would not nearly have gone down the way it would have gone down. You know, the access points and the the simplicity of the pitch would right. have gotten through. Right place, right time, right right moment. Yeah, yeah. But mm-hmm. but also like you know, you're out there being social. You're out there hanging out with people. You're out there going to parties and you're mixing with folks. And that's important. I would say that yes. The big takeaway is uh, get out there and yeah. meet people. We talk and, about this a lot. Yeah, uh, just on our uh, show. You, you know, you can't be lucky in a vacuum um you don't know who you're going to meet you don't know what their story is don't be too cool for for anything if you're if you're if this is out to the young person just starting like meet everybody and be nice to everybody i mean i can't tell you how many stories of the fucking intern in the ball cap that gets you the Fuji water is running shit in five years. I've seen it with my own eyes. It's yeah. crazy. Yeah. What about you, Ryan? Do you have any, uh, any crazy stories about, uh, just sort of falling into the right place, right time? Well, <clears throat> fun, excuse me. Funny enough. Uh, I was just thinking that recently, uh, I had a, a pitch meeting and, uh, a really good idea for, uh, pretty far down the road. Um, doc series on a on a boxer who met an untimely demise Mm. and i went to um i went to a production company who works in this uh as alex like to say likes to say milieu they (laughs) they do a lot of sports docs and stuff like that And, and i was pitching it and um i could just it just wasn't going very well um how could you tell how could you tell it wasn't me when they say it's not, this isn't going very well. <laughs> <laughs> when they explicitly say it. <laughs> when they, yeah. When, they, when they're, you're on the Zoom call and then it just goes to a name <laughs> instead of an image and then it goes, then it just goes away. Then yeah. you know the uh. pitch hasn't gone very well. So, no. And then, um, and then I just, uh, there is uh, something else that I'm working on and I just happen to take a shot. And I remember thinking I had a conversation beforehand about it. And I said, you know, I might mention something about this. And uh, a friend of mine said, uh, I was asking for advice. A friend of mine said, you know, only do it if you feel that 
it's the right thing to do. Like it's a, it was a fine line. Cause when you, there's, you know, Alex was dealing, Alex was in a social situation where, you know, a lot of things developed that way. It's not just, you know, we talk about luck mm-hmm. uh, and a lot of our guests talk about luck. It's not just luck. You have to be prepared for these things. And Alex was already prepared for it because he was already thinking about these things. And no, even though he was probably talking about it out loud, working through the idea still, it was important for him to be there, but already have that in his pocket yeah. to, just to have the conversation. So, you know, they say, Luck is preparation, you know, plus whatever, blah, blah. Anyway, um, so I mentioned this other thing at the end of the call, and they were like, what's that now? Mm. And it cha- and it, it, it changed, like, the, the tone of the – and it wasn't me. Uh, it wasn't me. It was just the idea wasn't right for them. And that's, I think, another thing that you have to think about. Yeah. It is so hard. It is so hard anyway and as alex said you know 20 years ago it it was a different situation like it it wasn't there weren't a lot of gatekeepers for for this kind of stuff there weren't a lot of hoops you had to jump through people weren't getting half a billion dollar deals for development deals because those are the deals that that were have been happening over the past three four years five years and you're going to see those deals i think kind of go away yeah. People aren't going to pay a showrunner $500 million to create shows. And that show gets like 1% of their attention over 365 days. It's not going to happen, but yeah, you just have, you have to be, you have to be prepared in some way. You have to know what you're, you have to know about, you can't just say, Oh, I got this show about a guy who does a thing, who works on a fishing boat. Right. Yeah. It, it, you have to have it more flushed out than that. Now, can it start out like that? Absolutely. Yeah. What I, I think what I'm trying to say is that there are so many barriers of entry. Yep. You know, it's the whole Alex likes to talk about the castle, like everybody's in the castle trying to keep everyone else out of the castle. And if somehow you make it through, and he says this a lot more eloquently David than I do. Mil- it's David Milch, and he calls it the walled city. The walled, walled city. city, yeah. It makes sense. Uh, dude, I've been in the same position, right? Like, And I think what you're saying – and just to reiterate it is that you have to be developing your your ideas and your stuff all the time and on your own all the time and if you're if you're putting together ideas that come to you and you're flushing them out and even if you're just putting together pitch kits on your own and you're just you just have these ideas that you're flushing out with you and your close friends and the people that you work with they just end up banking away and i know that when I've come up with ideas, when I first started pitching things out here, I was like, I've got this great fucking idea and this is going to be amazing. And then you show it to your ma- your your agents and your management and they go, this is great. We'll send you out. We'll pitch you for this stuff. And so when I was younger, I was like, wow, they think it's fucking great. So this is, this is what we're talking about. So I'd go into these rooms and you'd sit there and you'd talk to these folks and they'd go, it's cool. It's a cool idea, but it's not really on brand for us. What else you got? And because yeah, I was yeah. so young, I was so hyper-focused on that one thing. I'd go in there and go, I, I, I've got some other things that I'm working on. And they're like, well, what are you working on? And I was like, I, you know, and so then you couldn't follow it up. And then I think just because of time, because of working on all these different pitches and all these different ideas, like I just had a pitch a week and a half ago. And the, 
I was sent over to these guys with this specific idea and I pitched it to them and they were like, we like it, but it's really not on brand for us. What else are you working on? And, and I just was like, well, I don't know if this is on brand for you guys, but I'm fucking passionate about this idea. And so I just pitched them something else and we talked for a long time and he was like, oh, that's a fascinating idea. And what happens if you get on this way? I go, I didn't think about that. That's cool. And then through the conversation, I came to realize like, I like this guy. I actually like going back and forth with him. He's someone that I could work with. And I think he realized that he liked me. And even though the idea wasn't 100% flushed out, just that conversation alone, he's like, let's set up another call a week from now. Let's talk about this idea some more. And you're like, all right, fuck yeah. And even if that doesn't get greenlit, even if that thing doesn't go on from there, I have now established a relationship because I had a sort of a collection of ideas and thoughts that I had pre-thought out before I went and I sat in that room and talked to that guy. It makes fucking sense. The other thing I think that I've seen multiple times and I'm kind of going through it. And in fact, before we got on this, I was dealing with a call today in today's world, in this line of work, there are going to be variables that come up and I've seen people and I know Alex has seen people, they will kill deals over what something, what they might perceive as a slight, what, now, oh, oh, what is this? What is this meaning? Can you get into well, detail? Well, like if you don't get, uh, if you if you if you don't get, you know, the credit that you think you deserve, or uh, like if they're not offering, like like uh, uh, I pre- I preface this way, we might have to edit this out, but like Alex is known as the creator of Project Greenlight. It says that in the show. He had to fight for that. Right. Alex, is it okay if I talk about this? <laughs> Uh, hi, this is uh, the attorneys of uh, Lowell Bronx. <laughs> no, um, well, look, I mean, I'll, I'll just say this. Uh, it, even to this day, the created by credit is unusual in reality. Um, I was a neophyte, and so they handed me a contract that said, uh, uh, what was the role? Uh, supervising producer. Mm-hmm. And I said, but I'm not supervising any, anything. You, you guys have cock-blocked me from having any active role. Uh, so I don't understand this title. Well, that's just how it is. You're, you're supervising first year. You'll be uh, co-exec uh, from then on. And I said, well, what's an exec? What's a co-exec? I'm like, my job was I created the show. I just wanted to say created by. Mm-hmm. They're like, well, we don't do that. Mm-hmm. And I said, it's no skin off your teeth. They're like, well, we don't do that. And it went round and round for a long time. And I just wouldn't budge because I'm like, it doesn't make any goddamn sense. I'm not supervising and I'm not producing. I want the title for what I did. And they finally gave it to me. And it's a good lesson for sticking to your guns because what that did was is it it sort of linked me inextricably to the format. So we're now on our uh, fourth life of eight i guess um it was canceled by hbo picked up by bravo canceled by bravo picked re-picked up by hbo canceled by hbo now re-picked up by hbo (laughs) and if i was just a supervising producer i would have been long forgotten from that whole situation right okay so this is a bad example of what i'm talking about because (laughs) alex was successful in his fight Uh but there are but there are times where there are going to be people introduced into a project. You don't know why they're there. You don't know. They weren't a part of the original deal. This happens all the time. You have to decide whether to accept these terms 
and move forward or not accept these terms and possibly lose the opportunity that's in front of you. Right. And that is a very, that's a very hard decision-making process to go through as an individual. You need to t- you need to have people to talk to, to give you advice. Now in Alex's case, it worked out the best possible way. Here sure is my th- advice. Shut up and take the deal. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Right. That's what he heard. And right. he didn't do that. And to his credit, he didn't do that. But there are a lot of times, I mean, Alex, it's, that is rare that something like that would happen, right? Again, if you want to know why it worked, uh, it's because the head of business affairs uh, hated Harvey Weinstein and was leaving. And he was like, fine, I'll give it to you. Because <laughs> fuck them. Yeah. Yeah. And that's the only reason why. And so, so, so I, I couldn't real, have known that. Yeah, I wasn't playing real, the odds. Right. Yeah. This is real inside baseball shit. Right yeah. Now. It's interesting. Like, this is, this is, this is really, this is down and dirty. But like right now, I'm dealing with a project where the person who created the project and owns the footage of something that's already shot doesn't like someone who's been brought into the mix because it's a random person who has some superfluous connection to the subject matter. Mm-hmm. And he's going to kill the deal possibly probably because he just doesn't in the grand scheme of things, he doesn't want this person involved because he doesn't know him and he thinks it's bad for the project. So instead of, and uh, yet on the other, other hand, you're telling me tales of people who have overtly publicly and repeatedly fucked up. And you have people like saying, yeah, I know, but, I'm going to hire her anyway. Yeah. Oh yeah. I, I and, and uh, yes, I uh, specifically someone that I worked with who that is, we both worked with. Yeah, that we both worked with who uh, is not it's not a good situation and <laughs> and and I get and 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 that person will continue to find work and the failing upwards of Hollywood continues <laughs> to this day. It's great. I mean, but it, it's it really is. I mean, as they try to level out our business, you know, at least they try to say that they're leveling out our business and offering opportunities to everybody. At the end of the day, it really- What is that? Leveling out, that sounds more like they're ripping down rainforest to, to put up a Starbucks. Yeah, uh, yeah, I, I just kept I just yeah. kept thinking of all of us on an airplane that's going yeah. straight down to <laughs> <into> the ocean. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. But I, I mean- Stay the, on target. At the, <laughs> at the end of the day, fellas, at the end of the day, you know, it is still very much like- a, uh, nepotism who knows who like who has feelings oh, like yeah yeah and who who has feelings for what and then who is slighted and and yeah the the joke is so it took me so long to come out here to Los Angeles being an East Coast fucking asshole. And the big joke uh, on our end, when we were back at home, where we were like, we don't want to go to fucking LA. Why would we want to go to LA? LA is like the culmination of all sorts of insecure motherfuckers that are just going to show up and then just shit on each other. And that's- It is it is a little bit of high school drama. Exactly. And it does, it does feel that way. But moving out here was sort of an eye opener. And I was like, well, I was so closed off and I was an East Coast crazy person. And there are a lot of really nice people out here that you work Absolutely. with. Absolutely. 100%. So, so many great great people out here that you work with, but every once in a while, and we've all have these stories. I've had stories on projects and dealing with executives and you just, you just, all of a sudden it's almost shocking 
where you're on a call and you're like, this motherfucker is saying what? And you're like, oh, it's because he's insecure about this shit and he's so blatantly insecure about this shit and he's going to cancel this thing because he's insecure. Fuck this guy. And you just, it surprises me when I stumble across it because it, it seems like such like a bad movie trope, like film executive thing, but it does fucking exist out here. It's, it's crazy, man. Yeah. And, and this kind of goes back. Thank you for saying that. Cause it kind of rounds out my thought, which is it is the barrier of entry is so tough and you just have to, you cannot, you can't give up. You, you, those ideas that you've kicked around in your head for 20 years, Alex and I talk about, he had a show that he, that we talked about, we changed what it was. We've worked on it. We've literally worked on it for over 15 years. Mm -hmm. I I mean, you just never know when it's going to happen. You can't, you can't feel slighted. You can't give up. You just have to keep going. I know that sounds crazy, but if that's, if this is the profession that you choose to do, these are the, these are the things that you have to do. You have to just believe in yourself and keep moving forward. Because it, it's so hard to find people that will actually believe in you and believe in each other and move things forward. It's not personal. You know, I hate to say it's like the mob or the mafia, but it's not personal. It's business. Yeah. If they don't, if they, you know, people ask you to read scripts. I'm sure you get, Mike, mm-hmm. I'm sure you get scripts. People mm-hmm. say, can you read my script? Can you read my script? And then you read the script and you're like, oh God, how do I tell this? Person? By the way, Ryan, did you read my script? <laughs> I, I did. I did. Let's talk about it. Let, can we make a time? Can we book a time next month to talk about it? Yeah, exactly. I got a free date about four weeks from now. Right. You know. Uh, so, so I, so like, uh, um, it's you. you ha- I was in the position where someone asked me to read their script. It happens, I'm sure, to all of us. I read it. I I was stoked that they asked me to read. It was someone who I w- was stoked. I was surprised they asked me to read it. Mm-hmm. And then they wanted me. They knew I had a connection to someone uh, to a production company that I could possibly take it to. And then I read the script and was like, Oh God! Now I know what a development exec feels when yeah. they read a script, and they're like. I have to put my name on this and take it to somebody I know who could possibly do something with this to move it forward. I'm exposing myself to doing that. And I only get so many shots at this. Yeah. So do I really want, like, do I go back to my friend and say, I think there's some issues or are they going to think I'm an asshole for even saying that? Like it's a really, when you ask someone to read a script and to possibly help you with it, it's a big deal. Alex asked me to read a script. I'm going to read a script. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Uh, hey, he is my friend till the end. <laughs> oh, <yeah. laughs> I wondered, I was actually wondering the words were coming out of my mouth and I was like, he is totally going to fry me on this one. And uh, the, the words are coming out of my mouth. You mean the horsetail rose <laughs> and, the, and the truth came out. When Alex asked me to read a script, I certainly read that script. I feel like a politician. I get to it within the quarter. But 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 to back to, to further sort of develop on this, because there's a lot of young listeners on this show, a lot of young folks. And I, I'm constantly saying to them, whenever they ask me, I'm like, make sure that you've already vetted this thing with all your friends. Make sure you've already shown it to all these other people before you start to call in favors with someone that, it, like for, for most people that are working in this business, we're 110% on everything that we're doing. So to take the time to read 100 pages or 90 fucking pages and then to give you notes and then to go through that, pro- it's a fucking job, man. It's like, it's, it's a task to do. 
So not only that, we only have so many favors to the to, for us to ask the people yes. that we've cultivated. Yes. So if you're asking your friend to ask if, as a favor to move your script forward, that's a big ask. It's not, I'm not trying to make it personal. I'm just saying like, it's the reality. It's, yeah. it's your, you're going to ha- like Alex uh, directed a movie. He had to call in favors that he had cultivated for decades yeah. to get that done. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Like he had to, like people would work for very little money than they're normally used to. These are things like you only have sometimes one. And I hate to say it. It's not like they're keeping track or anything, but you only have so many shots with people to say, Hey, can you do this for me? Yeah. No, they're, they're, they're absolutely keeping track. I mean, they're not, not pejoratively, but they're oh, like, right. okay. Yes. yes um, you're 100%. But, but the, it, so, so two things. One is um, the ask or capital A. Um, I, I get this a lot and, uh, I think anybody who works in the business for more than 10 minutes, the newer person or the student or the wannabe is like, Oh, I hear you work in the business blank. Okay. So first thing is, is the word ask is very important to me. Um, my daughter's initials are ASK, right? Mm -hmm. Because it never hurts to ask. (laughs) So I'm a big fan of people like myself. I just told a couple stories where I was like, Hey, by the way, would you help me out? Or, you know, I asked for more than I was told I deserved or that was appropriate or that was, uh, the norm I asked because it doesn't hurt to ask. Yeah, because and we always so, say we always say what's the worst that could happen? They say no. Right. right? Yeah. There are if you don't ask, then you got no already. That you might is as true. well just confirm the no. So um however, and here's the big however, there is a way to do it. And I, I was just teaching my daughter this. When you ask a important person for anything, advice a favor, an intro to another important person or a more important person than them, anything, that's fine. But you have to be polite, specific, and brief. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Okay? And that is the art of the ask. Mm -hmm. Hi, my name is Joe. I want to be a film director. You're an editor uh, for this person. I have a script that I I want to get to them. Mm -hmm. Will you read it? Here it is. Like, don't create a conversation. Have have a very specific ask. Don't make it ridiculous. Like, hey, I want lunch with David Fincher. Can you you arrange that? Like, within reason, right? But just specific and brief and polite. And, And nine times out of ten... We all remember what a shitty time we had trying to break in and are looking every day for, to borrow Mr. Affleck's phrase, karmically appropriate moments where we can feel like, oh, I just helped that, you know, that guy, I made that guy's day. I made that girl's month. I made, I, maybe I made a career. I don't know. Um, But uh, it's, we're happy to do it. You know, like I used to, I used to get, grudgy uh if somebody would pass or a development person or whatever didn't didn't like my script and and somebody put it really succinctly they said we're rooting for you like we're we're not sitting here wanting to say no Mm. we're we want this page one 
you know, line one. We want this to be the next great script because it's good for us. It's good for the business. It's good for our boss. It's good for film history. It's just good. We want to be a part of something great. We don't want to say no. Now, we say no a lot for various political and expedient reasons, but we want you to succeed. And, and that really stuck with me. We want you to succeed. Who are you again? <laughs> <laughs> well, well, yeah. dude, this is, I have to do this because I, I, I could keep talking to you guys for the next couple of hours, but that's a good point to leave it on um, uh, because you forget that. I think and in, in, in when you're out there and you get a lot of rejections, you get a lot of no's, it starts to become pretty personal. It starts to feel like it's becoming personal and you're like, what the fuck am I doing wrong? And, and it's nice to hear that. It's nice to hear that from us, um, especially if you're just getting into this business. It's just keep developing your shit. Keep putting your shit together. Put yourself in the right situation so that you can uh, you know, mention something and maybe you'll get the access that you, you can have. It's so hard following whatever trends are happening in this business and they change a hundred different ways. If you just stay focused on your work and what it is that you like and be social and be polite that's all good advice, man. I'm happy you guys are on the show today. I really appreciate all of this from both of you today. Thank you so much, man. Thanks Thank for you. having us. Yeah, it man. It was a hoot. Yeah, and uh, like, uh, we should have you guys back on again because I feel like we could have gone f- like you know three times as long. <laughs> so, and if you tune in, if you if you tune into his Patreon, you'll have the exclusive uh, oh, ten the steps to, to to succeed in Hollywood. No, man, I'm that guy. <laughs> it's, it's dirty. <laughs> the pay, the blue show is behind the Patreon um, wall. We, we we absolutely would love to to come back, and yeah. we would love to have you on our show. We we love what you're doing. I would we love, love to be well. on your show, fellas. And if you guys, but, but, but you know, our show we do we do go three hours just just to let you know. <laughs> regularly. Well, we, we regu- try regularly. to go an hour. Well, well, guys, the only reason why I'm coming off is that my girlfriend just gave me a dirty look, and she's about to jump on a Zoom call in the other room. So like, I literally have to end. Hey, I have to answer, don't, end this. Don't one. piss off the Armenian girlfriend. All right, <laughs> All thanks. Right. Is her podcast brought to you by uh, uh, electrolysis.org? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to tell her that when I get off. (laughs) Making friends. Making show friends. All right. There it is. Today's episode in the can. If you can't tell by the way it sounds, I had to rush out (laughs) of the common area because... Gina needed to take a Zoom call um, with a client. So that's why the show got cut off short. (laughs) Um, I had a really, I had a blast talking to those two guys. Um, And I really wasn't sure where the show was going to go. And I'm happy that it ended up uh, in such like an insider trader sort of inspirational ending. Um, And I think... What they were talking about is true. I think if you're going to take anything out of the show, it's just understanding how uh, to better situate yourself so that way you can randomly find the opportunity to potentially talk about what you're passionate about. And if you put yourself in an environment and a place where people need what you do, People want what you do. People make money off of your ideas. People make money off of your passion. And, you know, that is Los Angeles. It could be New York. That is Los Angeles. 
um, then um, you know you're just better prepared to find your place, to find yourself at the right place at the right time. You know what I mean? So big shout out to those guys. Thanks for uh, coming on the show, guys. Thanks for sharing so much. And uh, I'd love to be on your show. It'd be a lot of fun. Make sure you go check them out. I will have links in the description of this episode. Go listen to the podcast. It's great. Um, And uh, thank you, everybody, for supporting this show by following me on Instagram at Mike Petschy and at the podcast in love with the process pod. And uh, where are you guys listening to our show? Are you listening on Apple podcasts? Because if you are scroll down a bit right now, scroll down and leave us a review for today's episode. What'd you think? Did you like it? Am I a five-star man? <laughs> leave me a review. Let me know what you think. And um, yeah, that's it. I'm not going to drag this on for too long. I got to get to work. Um, thanks for listening to today's show and, uh, plenty more episodes on the way. Uh, so stick around. I'll see you next Tuesday. All right. Bye.